Hey guys, Barry Magritte here uh, from the Comeback Game and this episode I'm really excited for. So on the line, I've got Myron Golden from the States. Mate, how are you doing today? Excellent, as always. Better now that I'm talking to you. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm fantastic. Bit late here in Perth, but uh, super stoked to have you on the call. So Myron, you're a best-selling author. Uh, you had polio growing up as a kid, but despite that, still managed to get a black belt in martial arts. And I also understand that you're an avid golfer on single digits. So mate, as I said, really excited to get in the show because as you know, the, 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 the comeback game is all around uh, understanding how our greatest adversities and challenges in life actually allow us to, to learn what we need to learn to, to become more that we can be and develop a sense of being unstoppable and inspired. So mate, why don't we kick off for the people out there that might be watching this, listening today, you know, share with them a little bit about you and, and you know, what, what happened and what your experience was like growing up. Sure. Yeah. I'm the second of seven brothers and uh, we grew up poor and uh, cause we ate a lot of food and drank a lot of milk and <laughs> we, we didn't turn lights off all the time. Right. So, yeah. so our parents were hardworking people, but we were poor. And, yeah. um, and I got my first job when I was 14 and I've been working for, since I was 14. Um, I worked for other people for 20 years from the time I was 24, uh, 14 till I was 34. And uh, when I was 34, I got fired from my last job right before I quit, um, or I quit right before I got fired. I don't remember which order it happened in, but I told my wife after I, after that situation, I will never work for anybody again. I'll live in a tent first. She may have been excited about the not working for anybody again, but I don't think she was too excited about the tent, living in the tent part. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it did, it did not come to that. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, I, um, I've, I've had some challenges to overcome and, um, uh, I have after I walk with a brace, a metal brace on my left leg, and I've been walking with a brace pretty much since I've been walking. But um, you know, a lot of times people don't realize that um, that it's our challenges that make us a champion. You can't yeah. win a game if there's no opposition, right? Yeah. And how are you going to win at the game of life if you have no opposition? And and so a lot of times people people curse their curses. I always tell people, don't curse your curses, bless your curses. They were sent to make you strong enough to stay there when you get there. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and so, look, we're going to dive back, back in there a little bit deeper, but I suppose, you know, for the people out there, like, why should they listen to you? Like, like, who are you and what is it you do now? Obviously, you know, we met uh, a couple of weeks back and I was absolutely blown away by some of the conversations that we had and some of the things that you taught me and uh, hence the, the, the invitation, which I'm so grateful you took us up on to, to be here today. But Tell us a bit about what you do now and the, the kind of things that you help people to achieve in life. So um, I empower entrepreneurs. I am known as the Bible success guy, which a lot of people think, well, what does that mean? Right. But I have a podcast called Bible success secrets. The Bible is the greatest success book ever written. And I tell people that everything God created, he created to succeed. He created the sun to shine. Guess what it does? It shines. He created birds to fly. They fly. He created fish to swim. They swim. Um, and he created human beings to succeed and to be progressively productive. And so it's in your DNA mm. to succeed because mm. it was built into your DNA by the creator. So that's really, um, that's really the focus of what I teach people. And, and, mm. and, and sometimes people are looking for something more than a, a, a cute little saying or a nice quote or, or a bunch of rah-rah. People want some foundational truth that they can build a superstructure of a life upon and mm. so i go all the way back to the beginning and start with the greatest success book ever written and when i say success 
you know, a lot of times people say, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to do with success. Well, that's, and, and people who say that they either haven't read it or didn't understand what they read. And so they say, why, why, why the Bible? Because in, in my opinion, right? So this is like what I do is I show people principles that I've learned specifically from scripture to apply to any area of their life, in their faith, in their family, their finances, their fitness, their future, their feeling, whatever. I show them how they can do better in life. And when I say success, I'm talking about operating in your purpose at your highest level, discovering the purpose for your life, yeah. developing yourself for that purpose, and then delivering that value of that purpose to the marketplace. That's what I mean when I talk about success. Hmm. And, and how does someone go about this? Like, I know we've only got a short period of time today, but I suppose it's something that I hear a lot, you know, like I see a lot of people aimlessly wandering around, like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And to some degree, I, I see a lot of people sabotage their life because mm -hmm. they're so busy looking for it that they're not allowing that their hearts to open up to the messages that are being given. So, you know, how, how does one go about discovering their purpose? How does one, is it something that we find in life or is it something like you talk about these challenges are given to us at the perfect moment, the perfect time to see us succeed? So I, I think that we find our purpose um, by trusting, first of all, that we have a purpose, mm. right? And then second of all, trusting that our purpose is unique to us. So mm. I, like I have a, it, it's really interesting that the first thing that God tells us about God, right? Like you, if somebody asked you, what would you, if you were going to use one word to name, to describe God, like what, what word would you use? Right. Mm. And some people would say, well, God is good, right? Other people would say, well, God is love. Other people would say, um, well, God is powerful. He's omniscient or God is omnipresent. Well, all of those are true, but none of those are the first thing that God tells us about God. So this is how I discovered my purpose, right? The first thing that God tells us about God is in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So when I read that, my first question was, why would he do that, right? And the only answer I've been able to find, Barry, check this out, this is, this is epic. The only answer I've been able to find is because he is creative and therefore it is his nature to create. So the first thing God tells us about God is that he's creative. Now here's what's really amazing. In the, in the same book in the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, the first thing that God tells us about God, he says, and let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over the creeping things and what's over moved upon the face of the earth. So God created us to be like him, which means he created us to be creative. Creative, yeah. Right? So that's the first thing that God tells us about man is that he created us to be like him, which means he created us to be creative. Now, here's, what, here's, where, here's where we complete the circle of finding our purpose. The first thing God said to man, the first command, before the Ten Commandments, right, is what he said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the works of my hand. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. The first commandment that God gave man is to be, be what? Fruitful. Now, fruitfulness is not something that you can do. It's something that you have to become. And here's, what, here's, here's how the Bible describes a fruit. It's something whose seed is in itself. So, so the purpose, like if you can't, you can't take an apple seed, put it in the ground and grow an orange tree, right? Mm -hmm. if, it doesn't matter if that seed was hanging around with orange seeds or not. It can only grow an apple tree. Apple tree, right? yeah. Right? Because the seed is in itself. And so um, I, I heard one guy say, any fool can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. 
And so the, the self-regenerating power of that fruit is inside it, which means the perpetuating self-generating power that's in, that you have is in you already. Mm. So you have to trust the fruitful power of the seed that God put inside of you. You got to trust that it's enough, right? That's the first part. He said, be fruitful. And then he said, multiply. Well, you wouldn't say to somebody, do, be multiply or be um, multiply and replenish. You wouldn't say be replenish and you wouldn't say be subdue. You, those are all do's, right? You'd say yeah. do replenish, right? Do multiply, do replenish, do subdue. Those are do's. So here's what God said. He said, be. And then he said, do. Mm. And then the last thing he said was, have dominion over the works of my hand. So here's how God set it up. He set it up so we can be, do, have. But here's what that means. I love what. Here's what that means. That means um, don't do, can't have. Don't be, can't do. So you can only do the things that you've become the person who can do. Hmm. Right? Hmm. And you can only have the things that you rightfully do the thing that gives you the right to have them. So you have to be, do, have. So what is your purpose? Well, God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the works of my hands. That is a command to be progressively productive. So here's our purpose. Everybody listen to me right now. This is your purpose. To live in your creative space and make mm -hmm. the world a better place. And see, here's the beauty of that. Like my creative space, I've got six brothers. My creative space is not the same as any of theirs. Yeah. You know, my son who looks like me relatively, only he looks better than me, but still he looks like me, right? Um, but he's 6'2", very, you know, muscular dude, right? Okay. He's my offspring, but he's not me. So his creativity and my creativity are not the same. Yeah. Right? So here's the purpose for your life. Live in your creative space and make the world a better place. But in order for you to do that, you've got to trust that your creative space is enough. And so we've been programmed our whole life by the miseducational system. <laughs> oh, did I say that? Um, by, the, by the miseducational system and by the people who were programmed by the miseducational system to believe that who we are is not enough. So you're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not tall enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. But the reality is not only are you enough, you are the only person in the history of the world that is enough to fulfill your purpose. So you have to yeah. trust that who you are is enough to do the things you're supposed to do, which is enough to cause you to have all the stuff you're supposed to have. Yeah. God, it's, it's, it's so, it's so amazing. I ran a facilitated workshop on Saturday and I spoke about be, do and have not in, in the, in the context of biblical times or what we just shared, but it's a very simple concept because, you know, obviously we focus a lot on what we call the inner game of success. You know, you can't possibly have some, something outside of you until you become the person inside of you that can have absolutely outside of you and being, doing, having, it's like, well, understanding what is it you want to have? What is it you need to do to have that thing? And then well, who do you need to be to be the person that does what you need to do to have what you want to have? Exactly. You know, it all starts with a sense of being. Right. It has to, because it's really interesting. You know, I believe that, that God, our desire to have more, better, nicer, greater experiences in life, it's, a, it's, it's God's built-in mechanism to cause us to grow, right? So what do mm -hmm. I mean by that? So God put this desire for us to have a nicer, better, um, more quality, greater experience of life. He gave us that desire so that we would be willing to go and do the things that could make that happen. But when we attempt to do those things that make that, that can make that happen, we bump our heads and it doesn't work 
so that we will be willing to do the thing that ultimately he cares about the most, and that is to become the person who can do the thing so we can have the stuff. So our desire is having, his desire is being. Mm. So through our attempting to do and, quote, failing, whatever that means, that's what incentivizes us to become the person who can do the thing. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's break that down then, you know, because that's, that's some, some deep-seated belief in you, right, that you've developed sure. over time. And, and, and I, I really get that. You know, I, I totally mm-hmm. get where you're coming from, I suppose, for the people out there might, right now that might be listening that, that, have, that are going through shit in life, you know, that have got, they're like, oh, but hey, Myron, hey, Barry, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. You don't understand, you know, I ain't making no money or, you know, my, my partner's has left me or my kids don't like me, all that stuff. Tell me, like, like, were you always like this? Like, what was the moment in time or, or what was the occurrence that happened? Because you're someone that's been through, like, a hell of a lot of adversity. You know, polio growing up and, and to, to take that and then still train and use the discipline that your, your mother and your father bestowed upon you to become, you know, a champion in, in uh, martial arts is absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how do you get to a stage or what are the steps that have to happen to develop that that belief or that understanding that allows us to actually trust in the process. Because I know that a lot of people live their life in blame, in denial, in, in effect of, of reality rather than living at cause. So, mm-hmm. so what are the steps that have been taken or what have you been through to, to be where you are today? Okay. So if you think about the word believe, right? The word believe, it's a really yeah. interesting word. I, you, I don't know if you remember me writing it on the board at the conference, believing, believing, believing. Well, what I do is I take the word believing, I write it on the board three times, and, and I separate the B-E from leaving, and then I cross out the I, and it says B, I mean, I cross out the second E, and it says be living, right? And, and then I come up down to the bottom one, and um, I cross out the V, and I said, you will be living what you're believing, even though you be lying. What does that mean? Well, anything we tell ourselves about a future event, we made it up. So our beliefs that are inside of us, as I like to tell people, our beliefs create our life. You cannot be a victim of anything unless you believe you're a victim of that mm. thing. Mm. See, um, when I was 13 years old, Barry, um, well, when I was growing up, because I had polio on my left leg, my left leg didn't develop as fast as the rest of me. So by the time I was 13, my left leg was two inches shorter than my right leg. Wow. So I had to wear orthopedic shoes, and my left shoe had a two-inch sole on, right? So when I was 13, the doctors came to my parents and they said, Mr. and Mrs. Golden, we got an operation that can help your son. We can stretch his leg two inches. Now, I was a 13-year-old. I had a very wild and vivid imagination, and I had seen Gumby and Fantastic Four. <laughs> I studied biology, right? So, and because I was into, I like, I like studying the framework of the human body. Like, I knew, I knew about the tibia and the fibula and the femur and the humerus and all these different bones because it was a part of my life. And so, in you know, I I had studied things like that so I could understand it better when doctors were talking to me and my parents about my own personal situation, right? But I, yeah. so I knew bones weren't made out of rubber. So when he said. You, you know, you can, we can stretch his leg two inches. I'm, I'm thinking, I, I know you're a doctor and everything, but you sound kind of crazy to me right now, right? I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. And what they did, you've got two bones in your shin. You've got the tibia, which is the big bone. You've got the fibula, which is the little bone. And so they broke my tibia in the middle. They put two screws through the top of it, two screws through the bottom. They broke the fibula at the top and bottom. And they put, my, they put these screws on this metal rack 
that was alongside my tibia and it had knobs on it that they came and turned quote a half turn every day right and what happened when they turned it it would pull those screws apart just a little bit at a time every day and at the end of 30 days my leg was supposed to be stretched two inches well as life would have it and how life works is that about a week into it the doctors came in and said well we're not going to be able to make the whole two inches because the bone's growing back together too fast so I'm, I'm heartbroken, right? I'm like, what? I'm like, it's bro- my leg's already broken. And so I called my dad, I'm crying. And my mom and dad come up and they hang out with me and we talk to the doctors. And, and, and I said, I'm a, t- I'm a teenager, I'm not a doctor, so what do I know, right? I said, well, why don't we just turn it a whole turn every day instead of a half turn? This is what they said. Well, that would hurt. Hurt, my leg's already broken, I'm already here. You told me two inches, let's do two inches. I don't care about it hurting, right? And it didn't hurt anyway. So they started turning it a whole turn every day instead of a half turn. And by the end of the month, we had two inches, right? And so then they had to put boards on the outside of the calf to hold those rods in place, those pin, those screws in place until the bone grew back together. So I was in a cast for like six months while the bone grew back together, right? But my leg was stretched two inches, which is, I mean, it sounds horrible, but it was really cool. So the reason I'm telling your, your, your people it was the coolest part about it i didn't have to go to school for a whole month that was epic okay and and uh so the reason i'm sharing this with your 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 watchers and your listeners right now is because they could have put those screws through my leg and turned those knobs all they wanted to but my leg would not have stretched one millimeter unless they had broken it first and see the, the point of this story is that seldom in life can we be stretched to our full potential unless we're first broken we've got to go through some stuff to get to our stuff Right? There's no, there's no, there's no strength without struggle. There's no, there's no advancement without adversity. There is no destiny without difficulty. You got to go through some stuff to get to your stuff. And most people come to the stuff they're supposed to go through. And instead of going through it, they say, well, it's too hard. And they turn around and go spend the rest of their life in the circle of sameness, AKA the comfort zone. And somebody like you or I, we'd say, well, go over it. They'll look up and they'll say, but it's too high. Right. Well, then we'll say, well, go around it. They'll say, but it's too far. Right. And there's always a reason for them to pretend that they are a victim of life. And the reason I say pretend that they are a victim of life, because I know people go through stuff. I've gone through stuff. Um, Like you said, I had polio as an infant. Um, When I first got married, you know, I didn't understand money. I didn't understand how to make money. I couldn't find a job. My, um, when my wife was eight months pregnant with our first child, my lights and water were disconnected at the same time. So I'm, I know what it's like to have difficulty, but I also knew that I wasn't a victim of any of those circumstances, right? You can either allow your challenges to make you a chump, or you can allow your champ, challenges to make you a champion. But you gotta, here's what you've got to do. You've got to choose. And see, yeah. you don't, you, so most people go through life and say, well, my challenge made me a chump. And then, or some people say, my challenge made me a champion. But the reality is, it was your choice about your challenge that made you a chump. And your choice about your challenge that made you a champion. Yeah. So yeah. there's somebody who's gone through what you've gone through and came out on top. There's somebody who's gone through way worse than you've gone through and came out on top. So if somebody is going to go through life and pretend to be a victim, and I'm not saying nobody ever intends evil on us. I'm not saying nobody ever, nobody ever breaks into something into our house. You don't have to be a victim of that. 
you can be a student of that, right? Somebody breaks into your house and they steal all your great, your, 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 your most valued possessions. Well, you can become, you can, you can allow that to cause you to become a student and you can allow the lessons you learn from that to allow you to be a teacher. Hmm. So, but, or you can define yourself by that and allow somebody else to create a definition of you. And then you say, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of that person. I'm not a victim of anybody. I, I contracted polio as a direct result of being born in a segregated hospital in Tampa, Florida in 1961. Almost 100 years after the Civil War, I was born in a hospital that was started by a Civil War nurse. The conditions of that hospital weren't as good as the conditions of Tampa General, quote, the white people's hospital, right? So mm. I could go through life and say, well, I'm a victim of racism. I'm not a victim of segregation. No, I'm not a victim of anything. Those were the challenges that were given to me as a gift so that I could make a choice to become a champion over them. It's all about, you, cho you choose, you decide. I love mm. the word decide. De, the Latin root from, right, or of. Side, the Latin root cut. So when I decide, I cut myself off from any possibility other than the outcome I've predetermined. Yeah. So anyway, I got on yeah. a long rant there, but well, it's not, it's, 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 it's not what happens that matters. It's what, what happens means. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm, I'm going to assign a definition or a meaning to everything. Hmm. So and, and it's not even what it means. What is, it's what it means to me. Like, yeah, like somebody can intend evil to me. Like there are a lot of people, and I'm just going to use this as an example. There are a lot of people who say, well, um, you know, I can't get ahead because that person's a racist, for instance, right? Well, what that person believes got to do with that person being a racist? Well, I couldn't get the job because they were racist. Okay, so what? Go start your own business and give somebody else a job and demonstrate that you're not a racist, right? And, and all I'm saying, I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. I'm saying racism cannot stop you, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, somebody else having something against you can't stop you. Somebody else intending to do you harm. That person owed me money and they didn't pay me. Man, I don't even have time to count all the money that people owe me that they haven't paid. I don't even have time to count it. I don't even have time to think about it. Like, okay, I'm, let me give you a perfect example. Um, there's this guy, he lives in California. He's, he created this movie project, this collaborative mu movie project. And he got Les Brown and Brian Tracy to be like, the main characters in this or in this movie project so he sold it as would you like to be in a movie with brian tracy and les brown right and i he didn't talk me into it but a friend of mine talked me into it nonetheless so you pay him six thousand dollars fly to california on on your own dime so it's it's a movie about this talk show host who interviews people who've overcome adversity okay and and the, and so it's like a movie it's a, a movie so-called right and so Brian Tracy is acting as his grandfather and is speaking to him in this movie through his memories of his grandfather, et cetera, right? So he interviews a bunch of people and Les Brown, Stan Harris, Katrina Ferguson, myself, a bunch of other successful individuals, right? He interviews all these people on his talk show. So we paid $6,000. We were supposed to get 500 DVDs when the movie was done. This is probably 2009-ish, somewhere in there. So we were supposed to get 2,000, we were supposed to get 500 DVDs that we could sell for 
uh, $20 a piece or $30 a piece. Cool. That's cool. I can sell these at my seminars. So I'm, I, that's, a, that's a good return on investment. I get 500 DVDs. I can sell for $30. That's $15,000. I'm in. I sent him $6,000. I flew to California on my own dime. I paid for a hotel. I paid for my food and rental car and all this, right? Come back. I, I, to this day, I've never gotten one DVD, not one, right? Not only that, he sent me a pixelated, low-resolution version of the movie that he said, I can sell that, and it had my name misspelled as Myron Goldman, not Myron Goldman. So I literally got nothing out of that experience that I could use, and that dude got my $6,000, right? Yeah. So here's what some people would do. They would use a lot of energy. And some people actually did go and sue him and all their other, this other stuff. Do you want to be a part of the suit? I don't have time to, I don't have any energy to go in that direction. I'm too busy going forward to go backwards and make somebody do the right thing. I can't control other people. So this guy sowed bad seed in the garden of his future. I'm not going to use any energy sowing bad seed in the garden of my future. Either he's going to give me the, send me the DVDs one day or he's not. And if he doesn't, that's fine. So I tried to get him to send me a high resolution version with my name on it, so at least I could sell the digital download. He hadn't even done that, right? But my point is, my point is that I've spent no energy focusing on this guy at all, right? Somebody's, but he took advantage of you. Well, no, he thought he took advantage of me. He really took advantage of himself, right? Because he's yeah. gonna eat the fruit that comes from that seed. Now watch this, here's what happened. He did a movie premiere in Las Vegas. Now I got invited to the movie premiere, but I said, I'm not going to the movie premiere. I didn't even get my videos. Right. Right. But there was a guy at the movie premiere who owned a network marketing company who invited me to come speak at his at his conference. I made fifteen thousand dollars speaking at his conference and I made another hundred and thirty six thousand dollars on the back end of speaking at his conference. Because I didn't give any bad energy to that thing. So, yeah. So here's what happened. This guy attempted to do something to me, to me and the other people who played in the movie, because they didn't get the movies either. But because I didn't give it any negative energy, it still turned into a positive. You, yeah. you can only be a victim if you accept a victimhood mm. of anything. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very powerful stance to be in, you know, like it, 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 it's interesting to, to think of the difference between like an abundant mindset and a scarce mindset. You know, an abundant mindset, it's like when you have money, it's very easy to make more money. When you don't have money, it's very hard to make more money. And, you know, I remember going through a time like many, many years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, where I'd had the experience of, of, of being in a space of abundance and giving freely and notice that the more that I gave, the more that I received. It was like I become a vessel. I come, yeah. I become a vessel of the abundance that life had to share. Mm-hmm. And yet then something happened and, 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 things dried up and I knew that I needed to get back there. Mm-hmm. But the issue was, is then I started to give with the underlying, with the underlying, uh, motivation or to say the underlying, um, mentality motivation. to, to receive. Mm-hmm. So I was giving because I knew that I needed to give abundantly to be abundant, but I was giving only to receive. Right. And we're very tricky beings, right? We're it's very tricky. We're, yeah, simplistically complex beings. So how would somebody start to shift? Like if someone has lived their life, as a lot of people do, in the drama, in the emotion, in the, the feeling wronged in effect to what 
their partner and their kids, their boss or their clients or God or the world has given them? How would someone start to shift that? Someone that's listening to this right now, or maybe someone that's listening to it right now that's living a great life but wants to go to the next level, how would they start to shift that for themselves? So I would say the best way to shift that for themselves is to understand how it works. You said, one of the things you said, you said, uh, when you have money, it seems easy to make money. When you don't have money, it seems hard to make money, right? Well, let me talk about why that is. Because every human being has, well, we all have multiple superpowers, but I believe the greatest superpower that all of us have in common, the greatest superpower that all of us have is the superpower of expectation. Hmm. But expectation manifests itself as a two-sided coin. And um, as fact, as we, what we consider fact, it goes in our mind, right? So we had a fact in our mind, and that fact shows up either as faith or doubt. That's the two sides, right? That's the two-sided coin of expectation. Now, when we, when we have that two-sided coin in our, in our brain, um, of that fact in our head of faith or doubt, because of some fact that we're looking at. We're looking at this thing, and so we ha- now we have an expectation. This is gonna turn out great. Other side, if it lands on tails, this is gonna turn out horrible, right? Whichever side that coin lands on, it, that fact puts a feeling in our hearts. Mm. And the feeling, of, the feeling shows up as a two-sided coin. Here's, here, here's the two sides of the same coin. It shows, ex- the feeling of expectation shows up as either anxiety, if it lands on tails, or anticipation if it lands on heads. Now, here's what's powerful about that. I believe that lack cannot exist in your experience of life unless it first exists in your expectations. Mm. I believe that abundance cannot exist in your life unless it first exists in your expectations. So expectation of abundance perpetuates abundance expectation of poverty perpetuates poverty. So what I've got to do is I've got to shift what I expect. Anxiety is the thief of all your dreams. Hmm. Now, most people think that the thing that's holding them back is fear. It's not fear. Fear can serve you, but anxiety can, not only does anxiety not serve you, anxiety cannot ever serve you. See, fear I'm, I'm going to define, I'm going to define these words that I'm using so that I'm not just saying words and using semantics. Okay. So I'm going to define the words. Fear is caution about a real and present danger, right? So fear can serve me. If I'm driving down the road and I'm getting really sleepy and I'm afraid I'm going to fall asleep and crash and die, then I'll pull over and get a hotel room. Hmm. So my fear served me. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. But anxiety cannot, cannot serve me. So fear is cautious, caution over a real and present danger, a sense of mm-hmm. caution over real and present danger. Anxiety is a sense of caution over a future expected and expected danger. Mm-hmm. So it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. So our, our, our future imagined danger. So that's mm-hmm. what anxiety is. It's, 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 it's when I have, it's when I have um, caution over a future imagined danger now here's why anxiety is so bad you ever heard somebody say don't worry about something because the things you worry about happen you ever heard Mm -hmm. somebody say that here's why they happen because when i have anxiety over something anxiety will not allow me to take the action that can keep that thing from happening Mm -hmm. 
right? Anxiety paralyzes you. What do you do when you're when you have anxiety? Your forehead sweat, your your heart palpitates, your hands sweat, and you sit down or lie down, but you can't sleep. You just can't move, right? Mm. So I'm going to define anxiety as I'm I'm going to define anxiety as caution over a future imagined danger, but I'm going to define it another way as well. I'm going to tell you what anxiety does. Anxiety is wasting present energy on a future outcome that's undesirable to me. Hmm. And why do I say it's wasting energy? Because you're sweating, but you're not doing anything. Your heart's racing, but you're not running, right? So you're, you're taking, you're literally imagining an undesirable outcome and sitting here just, it's like, you're like a car revving up your engine in park, burning gas and going nowhere. Yeah. Right. So what's the opposite side of that coin? The opposite side of that coin is anticipation. Anticipation. Yeah. Right. And that is, that's when your life is infused with present joy because of a future imagined outcome. Yeah. Right. So if anxiety is wasting present energy on a future outcome that's undesirable to you, anticipation is creating present energy based on a future outcome that is desirable to you. So a lot of people don't realize that the reason the poor get poorer is because they expect to be as broke tomorrow as they were today. They expect to be as broke next week as they were last week. They expect to be as broke next month as they were last month. So they don't even allow themselves to see opportunities to make that change. And if they do see the opportunities to make that change, their anxiety will not let them take advantage of it. Hmm. And they'll think they're a victim of something that happened to them, but they're really a victim of their own imagination. Hmm. I know that was a lot of words, Hmm. but like, I have seen this over and over, Barry. If a person finds themselves in a situation where they're feeling this anxiety, here's what they've got to do. They've got to replace the act, they've got to replace the anxious apprehension of the outcome they don't desire with the joyful anticipation of the outcome they do desire and give so much energy to the outcome they desire and put so much focus on the outcome they desire that it energizes them to take an action that causes the thing they were worried about not to happen ever. Yeah. So Anyway, that's my psychological two cents. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably recommend that the, that the guys out there watching, listening, rewind that and listen to it again because that was, that was golden. They don't call you golden for no I, reason, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So w- was there a defining moment when things changed for you? Or did you find that, that naturally? Like I remember for me growing up, like I... I experienced a pretty rough childhood growing up, you know, like my mum and dad are still together and, and they, they were together growing up and that was great. But I just seemed to be someone that, that constantly experienced massive challenges through childhood. It was just one after the other, that, at least as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Yet the thing for me is that I always found myself, and I don't know whether it was a coping mechanism, but I always found myself trying to focus on the good. So regardless of what happened, I'd always be like, you know, what's, what's the positive about this? What, what can I be grateful for? What's good about this? And I found myself self-calibrating. And I think looking back, it was possibly a coping mechanism because if I had have really succumbed and surrendered to the shit that I was dealing with, like who knows what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But for you, like, like, was there a defining moment? Was there a point in time when you really got this, you know, you really just had that kind of come, come to God moment where it's like, you just got it. You just knew that, that this was the only way to be living life. You know, I believe that, uh, 
I believe that life is full of defining moments. Mm. And I, and I can give you several examples because I believe if we're, if we're supposed to be progressively productive beings, and I believe we are like the, the way God designed our lives, our lives should be getting like today should be better than yesterday. This week should be better than last week. Obviously we're going to run into some, you know, some things that are going to challenge us, but this year should be better than last year as a, as a, as a rule, not necessarily as a, as a casting stone, every single solitary, but for the most part, this decade should be better than last decade. So I believe that as a result of that, we have many defining moments. I remember um, the moment I can remember it like it was yesterday when I was 11 years old and I quit drinking. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember what I was doing. I remember when I just made a decision, I'm just not going to drink anymore. And I was 11 years old. Now, a lot of people think you stopped drinking at 11. How old were you when you started? I started before I could remember. <laughs> I'm sure I was drinking when I was two or three. I'm sure. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And it's really fast. That whole thing is, that whole concept is really fascinating. That whole um, concept is um, really fascinating in that. Um, so I loved going to work with my dad, right? And, and my dad had a lot. My dad had a really tough, tough, tough childhood. I mean, just his dad died when he was like nine. Um, he had a lot of old, he's the youngest in his family, a lot of older brothers and sisters. Nobody took him and his brother that was two years older than him in. So they spent a lot of time in foster homes and work camps and just were treated horribly. Right. And so my dad had a lot of anger, but, and he started smoking when he was probably nine or 11. He started drinking probably around the same time. And so drinking in our house was just kind of normal. It was just beer, Kool-Aid, whatever thing, you know, it's just beverage. Right. Uh, and my dad was really proud of the fact that I could, I could drink, right? And um, so I was at work with my dad, and we were working on a roof, and, and we were putting a roof on. I was hammering some nails or bringing him some boards or whatever I was doing 11 years old, you know. I thought, I was, I thought he couldn't, like, he couldn't bear, make it through a work day without me, right? That was my imagination, right? And um, so I hear him bragging to one of his friends about how hard his son works. And I'm thinking he's talking about me. But he's talking about my brother, Mike, because my brother, Mike, was the guy who washed dishes till the cows come home, kept his room clean all the time. So he's talking about Mike. Man, that Mike sure is a hard worker, right? But I was the one that worked with him. And then he saw me looking at him. And he, so he wanted to say something that encouraged me, right? So he said, but that Myron sure can drink some beer. Wow. And I said, and I said to myself at 11, he will never... And my dad's a good dude. He wasn't being a bad dude. He was just, he wasn't being a bad dad. He was just doing what he knew to do, right? Yeah. So, um, and I don't fault him for it. I'm just, I remember saying to myself, he will never have that to brag on me about again. So that was a defining moment, right? Yeah. Um, Another defining moment, when I had my leg stretch operation, when I was 13, that was a defining moment. Yeah. Um, when When I was in high school and a friend of mine introduced me to Jesus Christ in a, in a personal way. I'm not talking about believing in him. Or I'm not talking about just believing that Jesus was the son of God. I already believed all that stuff. I believe stuff about him, um, but I didn't have any trust in him, right? So I, that, was a, that was the biggest defining moment of my life. Another defining moment of my life was when I got married, and now I've got to take care of two people when I already couldn't take care of one. It was a defining moment, right? Um, another defining moment, I, I got in the insurance and sales and investment sales business, and I worked in my business for a year and a half before I made my first sale. But that first sale after 18 months was a defining moment. Wow. Right? 
because after that, I became the top salesman in our office month after month after month. So that was a defining moment. So I believe life is, we are going to build, our life is going to be built on defining moments. And here's what's really fascinating. Are you ready for this? Hmm. Our defining moments are defined by the definitions that we assign to them. Yeah. 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 So I'm the one who determines what this situation means. And I could go yeah. on and on and on and say, this is the defining moment, but I think everybody gets the picture. So here's what yeah. you do. Next time you have a challenge, you just define that moment and say, I've got a choice. I can either let this challenge make me a champion. Or I can let this challenge make me a chump. Chump, yeah. And I'd like to come back and be interviewed again. I told you I'm having knee surgery tomorrow, right? So, okay, how about this for a define? How about, how about this for a challenge, right? So, like, if, if you want to have a life without challenges, I, I can tell you where to go find a bunch of people like that. Go down to your local cemetery, you will see a bunch of people that have no challenges, right? <laughs> right? So, I had polio as an infant in my left leg, played too much golf, because I'm a pretty much a golfaholic, right? So, I was playing golf every day, and I hurt my knee, and I kept playing. And so I tore my meniscus in my knee, in my right knee, which is my strong leg. And now my strong leg is my weak leg, and my weak leg is my weak leg. So I've got to go pick up a wheelchair until after I have my surgery. I'm gonna, I won't be able to walk for a couple of days. So I've got to go pick up a wheelchair so I can roll around and still get around the house. So, but you know what? That's a defining moment. This is going to be great. I'm going to get my knee fixed, and in six weeks I'll be able to play golf again. See, that's a defining moment. And, and you get to scoot around in a wheelchair, right? I get to scoot, scoot around in a wheelchair and be cool. And have like, I'm gonna squeeze all the juice out of this. Like, it's gonna be so great. Oh, I need some help. Oh, right. I, I, I got this thing. I'm ready. My arms are tired. I can't roll anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyway. Well, look, before we let you go to pick up your wheelchair, um, and I really, really appreciate your time, and I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on. And yes, let's definitely hook up a, a, another interview. One thing to ask before we go, like, like what would one, you, you've given so much, what would one piece of advice be or, or one kind of finishing point you'd, you'd give to, to everyone out there today who's listened in and, um, you know, is really ready to take the next step in life? I'll, I'll give you something um, that I heard Will Smith say yesterday, which is kind of fascinating. He was doing a skydiving thing. He was talking about how he was went skydiving. He strapped to this dude and, they say, okay, we get over to the door. They say, we're going to count. We're going to jump on the count of three, right? He goes one, two, and then jumps out of the plane. He said, they always jump out on two because if they wait till they get to three, people try to hold on, right? And he said, here's what he said. He said, and as soon as you jump out of that plane, you realize that your moment of greatest bliss is right on the other side of your moment of greatest fear. Hmm. That's where I would end with. Yeah. Your greatest moment of bliss is... On the right side. on the other side yeah of your yeah. greatest moment of fear myron mr golden that was amazing uh Thank you, sir. so make sure you guys are there uh watching listening that you you hit the like you hit the share you tag anyone in that you think that needs to hear some of this message probably go back and listen to this one uh two or three times because i know that for me i certainly will be there's so many things that you've given in there that uh listening to them over and over again will provide different distinctions so Super grateful for your time, mate. Uh, keep rocking and doing what you're doing. You got that wheelchair? And, yeah, I'm going to go pick up the wheelchair. And I'm going to say, like, I, I just launched my podcast. I would encourage people to go check it out. It's really epic. And it's going to be even, I know some of the episodes that are coming. It's going to be epic. Bible Success Secrets podcast on iTunes. 
or on Libsyn um, and on the Google Music app, I think. Um, it's going to be epic. Bible Success Secrets. So go check out Bible Success for its Secrets by Myron Golden and uh, stay tuned for more Comeback Game podcast. Thanks, my man. And we'll look forward Thank to you, seeing sir. you.